When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today as always by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Happy Super Bowl week. Super Bowl week, the last, well, no, I'm not going to say, I was going to say this is the last like football we're going to get until August, but that's How not true. dare you? That's not true. The XFL starts soon. The USFL starts soon. Mm-hmm. So uh, the biggest football game, one of the few moments where everybody comes together for something. We don't get many of those anymore. The monoculture is gone, but yeah. I'm excited about that. Some of us, some of us want to be there for Rihanna. Yes. You know what I saw, you know, our friend Alex Kirshner uh, posted something, some bar in D.C. was going to, uh, you could come to the bar during the Super Bowl, the TVs would be off, and they'll only come on at halftime for the concert. No football. That is awesome. Fascinating. That is amazing, first of all. Second of all, are there odds somewhere? Like, can you bet on the order of songs for the halftime show? No, because sure. I would. I, I think she's got to close with Umbrella, right? Got it. At the close, oof, I don't. I guess that's possible. She has. I a, think so. And you know my dream as well. Yeah. I'm just gonna put this out into the universe in case this happens. Do it now. That maybe, please give us Tom Holland during Umbrella. If you have not seen his viral lip sync battle, dance to this. You must look it up right now. Also, there is an internet law. That if you see it on any social media form, you have to share it because it is that delightful. So please, 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 Rihanna, bring Tom Holland out. Yes, it's exciting. Rihanna hasn't had a concert in years, I believe, uh, from what from what I heard. So big football game. You know, the Super Bowl, this is what college football wants. To, the, the championship game wants to make itself into. I assume we're not going to get 65 to 7 in this game, uh, though. I personally don't think it'll be all that close, and we'll get to that at the end of the show. Yeah, we are going to do some picks. We also have a couple Super Bowl-themed happy hour topics, so we will dive in. As a reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends Feed. Andy and Ari are, of course, up to their usual antics all off-season, so you will want to stay tuned. On today's episode of Power Hour, we will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. So, Chris, we'll dive in and we'll start, as we always do, with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute, it's a little loose deadline, to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on to the next. I will let you get us started. Number one, Miami appears it has its new defensive coordinator. Uh, reported by our Bruce Feldman and others on Tuesday. Lance Guidry is expected to be named to the job. Guidry was the defensive coordinator at Marshall last year, had just recently taken the defensive coordinator job at Tulane. And he's a guy who's 
got a very solid track record as a defensive coach. Marshall last year was number six in the country in scoring defense, number two in stop rate, which our Max Olson uh, puts together. He's a former head coach at McNeese State. Uh, a lot of people thought that was a really good hire by Charles Huff at Marshall at the time. And now he's at Miami, which is replacing both coordinators. Uh, Josh Gaddis, offense coordinator, fired. They still need the offensive coordinator. And Guidry fills the spot left by Kevin Steele, who we will also get to in a minute. Uh, we can get into him right now. Number two, Alabama has its offensive coordinator. Can't speak. Offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. These have been two of the positions that we've been most intrigued by because Nick Saban has had to reload. He has had to plug in different assistants, but it's always interesting to see where he goes. And I think both of these hires drew quite a bit of reaction. Um, Obviously, defensively, he did go with Kevin Steele, who has had kind of a journeyman career. I mean, if you look at his Wikipedia page, it's like, what is it, Chris, like 13 different stops or it's, it's, it's a lot of different stops. And Nick Saban's actually hired him three times now. Since he's been at Alabama, he was his first defensive coordinator. So he is back. He pulled him from Miami, as you just mentioned. And then Tommy Reese, who is only 30 years old. So congratulations to us. We are actually older than someone feeling very old about this. Um, Obviously, he goes from Notre Dame where he played, where he starred. And he is off to replace Bill O'Brien, who left for the Patriots. It's a sixth different offensive coordinator to go to Alabama in the past eight years. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think, you know, he hasn't been an OC at Notre Dame or the primary play caller all that long. He's been very successful over that period of time at Notre Dame. And he was actually the first person to announce that he was staying at Notre Dame after Brian Kelly left before they announced Marcus Freeman officially as the head coach. So that was an interesting dynamic. Now, obviously, Brian Kelly is at LSU and Tommy Reese is at Alabama, and they're going to face each other every single year. So, Chris, interesting hires to you as well? The reaction to these hires generally has been a lot of, huh. Like, you feel like Nick Saban could have done better. You also feel like he could have done a whole lot worse. Starting with, with Kevin Steele, this is his third different stint on the Alabama staff. He was the first defensive coordinator in 2007, uh, then moved kind of the next year, and Kirby Smart came in and was a defensive coordinator. He went to Clemson, gave up 70 points to West Virginia in an Orange Bowl, came back to Alabama in an off-field role, and moved back up uh, the, the, the trail. Yes, Kevin Steele, the one who almost got the Auburn head coaching job a few years ago and what may or may not have been a coup. So, look, it's a familiar move. Honestly, both of these moves kind of feel like Alabama may be going back to old Alabama. You know, not exactly in terms of um, personnel. Obviously, they're they're very talented across the board. But Tommy Reese comes in. This is not like when Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin and completely changed what he was doing on on offense. This is more kind of back to what they've been before. So Notre Dame fans, upon seeing Tommy Reese go, were surprised. Uh, Some of them not Sad to see him go, uh, but as with any coach, you have to keep in mind when they're going from somewhere to Alabama, you're going from not Alabama talent to Alabama talent. And when you have Alabama talent, you can do a lot more. You have to do a lot more. Uh, otherwise, you're out. And one last thought for me on this. I, I saw, you know, I think someone uh, involved in a recruiting site 
said something like this is a lateral move for Tommy Reese. It's not because it's Alabama. And how many coaches have we seen get really good head coaching jobs off of this type of exact position? So um, obviously step up for, for Tommy Reese. It's a big challenge. Like you mentioned, a lot of pressure on you in this situation because you are around four and five star players at every single position. There's no excuse. And we heard Brian Kelly make excuses, right, about Notre Dame saying he didn't believe that the, that was the type of place that can win a national championship. Well, Alabama is going to be expected to win one every single year. It's going to be a very interesting offseason and fall for Alabama in a world where Georgia's just won back-to-back titles and is not just the gold standard in the SEC, but the country at large. Yeah, and that's a, it's a much better stepping stone. I mean, look, the, his previous coordinators – uh, Bill O'Brien went back to the Patriots as an offense coordinator. Steve Sarkeesian became the Texas head coach. Lane Kiffin became the FAU head coach now at Ole Miss. Brian Dabble is now a head coach in the NFL. That's a pretty good track record, so you can understand why he would make that move. Number three, speaking of offensive coordinators, uh, one of the strangest contract amendments I can ever ever seen before. Iowa football, yes, the, the lovely Iowa offense that we cannot stop talking about on this podcast for some reason. Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator, has uh, an amendment to his contract. Uh, his normal two-year rolling contract will instead end next summer, and it will only be renewed if Iowa averages 25 points per game and wins seven games. That includes the bowl game. We'll get more into this later and kind of just what this says about the Iowa situation. But, man, I cannot recall ever seeing something like this for a coach, especially a high-profile coach in this situation. We will get into this later in On the Rocks because Iowa's offense tends to fall in that category on this show. But also just want to point out that our pal Richard Johnson over at Sports Illustrated has confirmed that defensive points do count towards that 25 points. And special teams. That's an, and special teams. And that's an important note because they do account for a lot of points for Iowa. Just wanted to put that out there. But yes, we will dive into that. A little bit later in the show, uh, much more fully. Number four, just a scheduling note, uh, close to home for me, literally. Uh, Northwestern and Iowa are going to play at Wrigley Field on November 4th. This is part of the series that Northwestern and the Cubs agreed to. um, And the Northwestern did play at Wrigley last year. I'm sorry, in 2021. When they played Purdue. Now, the interesting thing about this is it's going to be November in Chicago. So you're going to have the lake effect. Probably could have some very cold weather. And we have two teams that were basically the Sickos Bowl last year already. So the over-under potential in this game, like this is going to be something that I'm going to preview with Andy and Ari. And we're going to be arguing about how many offensive points we think are going to be scored. And we're probably going to go with the under, whatever it is. But I feel like it's going to be in like the 35 range, and that'll be optimistic. Why are we talking about Iowa again? I just said we talked too much Iowa, and yet here we go. They're, they're twice in the Power Five. By the way, the, the, the last game between these two this year, the over-under was 37 and a half. Uh, and they went over. Uh, Iowa won 33-13. So that happened. Also, a note about the Wrigley game. We all remember... 10 game against Illinois where they could only use one end zone because the other one went into the outfield fence and it was not safe. So they had to go in one direction the whole time. That is not the case anymore. Wrigley Field was renovated a number of years ago when they played Purdue in 2021. They went both ways. So no, 
that famous weird situation at Wrigley Field a couple years, uh, a decade ago, is no longer the case. Also worth pointing out that throughout bowl season, we saw a number of really not great field conditions when football teams were playing on baseball fields. So not necessarily loving this trend. I know why they're doing it. I'm excited. Like this is like down the road. Like I can Uber to this game in 15 minutes. However, don't think we need to play that many games on baseball stadiums. They should pay you to go to that game. You should not be paying to take an Uber there. And coincidentally, you do get paid to cover that game. Number five, uh, the Big 12 in Texas and Oklahoma. What is going on here? It was first reported by ESPN, confirmed by our Matt Fortuna, that the chances of Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC early in 2024 are slim. ESPN said it's done. Other people have said, eh, there may be a chance, but it's slim. The understanding is that most of the Big 12 schools or the remaining Big 12 schools are open to getting it done. They are, they have a, you know, a deal. You, know, you break the contract early. You make some negotiations. They're cool with it. The issue, and it was always going to be the issue, is the television situation. Because Fox will go from having a conference with Texas and Oklahoma to not having a conference with Texas and Oklahoma. So uh, it sounds like those negotiations are ongoing. Nicole, you've done a lot of reporting on the Big 12 situation. What's the latest you're hearing? Yeah, it's just that, like, understandably, both sides would love a clean break sooner. I I think the idea of getting divorced and then living together for four more years is never all that appealing, but everyone was understanding that there were contracts signed there were obligations that people had to fill and you you know had to be willing to go all the way to 2025 now how much one extra year makes a difference in speeding these things along we can argue about i i think 2024 aligns itself very nicely with the new start of the expanded college football playoff usc and ucla are starting in the big 10 that year basically all the major realignment moves that have happened because oklahoma and texas went to the sec will have already happened (laughs) so that's a strange dynamic um but you know so i get it like i get why people would want to try to make this happen but i also understand the value that is leaving and how you would need to make sure that you're making that up to fox as your partner so these things are always complicated again i think it's a lot of people are interested in this because it affects schedules. It expects it affects relative conference strength. And again, like you do have that first year of the college football playoff with essentially auto bids for the power five. So yeah, we really want Texas or Oklahoma winning that for the, for the big 12 that year. Like I understand all of the dynamics at play. Um, and so again, I think there's a lot of people who would like this to happen, but understandably there are holdups. And depending on the day, there's different levels of optimism. So I think, you know, we're, we already saw the schedule for a 14-team Big 12. It's going to be weird. We saw that Texas and Oklahoma got some nice road trips against some of the new members. Um, but we'll have to see. I, I don't think that it's the, the, do- the door is fully closed yet on the idea of 2024. But again, as you mentioned, TV partners are a big factor in these things. We've covered media rights deals a lot in the last couple of years because they really matter. And so, you know, you can't just write on paper, okay, well, this makes sense. You should go. You need to make sure that the actual value is going to be made up. So we'll see. It's it's a good reminder of who has the power in college sports. And in this situation, it's not Texas and Oklahoma. It's 
Fox, it's ESPN. It's, it's, it, it remains a situation where college football is largely uh, influenced by, controlled by the TV networks, which is kind of the opposite in basically every major sport. The NFL, you know, kind of does what it wants because it's a powerful thing. But because college football is so fragmented and you've got networks with different hands in different conferences, it, uh, it, it, makes, it, it makes it tougher. So uh, Fox is going to want something more out of this at some point. Yeah. And again, this is part of why you have a lot of, I, I don't know if it's angst, but just a, a lot of stress around this stuff because Fox has been, you know, they've been, I'm not even sure the right word, just like increasing their foothold in college football, if that makes sense. Um, but they've been getting more involved. They're trying to go head to head with ESPN. So why do you then help them? Right? Like it makes a lot of sense when you think about it more from a, um, from that type of perspective as you look into this, because yeah, again, people want to be done with each other. And I understand that, but I think that you need to think about what people sign contracts and the value that's there. So these are two entities and ESPN and Fox that, um, you know, are going to go up against each other on college football playoff rights. And, you know, you, you just, you're going to see this more and more because different conferences that don't have multiple media partners are going to be more aligned with certain networks and that's just where this is going especially with the big 10 leaving espn and the sec going all in with espn moving forward it's just going to be one of those dynamics we want to talk about things that are making us happy and i think both of us picked something related to the super bowl because this is a fun week thankfully we did not have to go to media night and all of the hoopla around the actual super bowl but it is always fun following the storylines, especially of recent college guys who get to play in the Super Bowl. And I always love planning out my menu and which snacks I'm going to make for the Super Bowl this year. 100% going to do a, a buffalo chicken dip and a spin dip. Made both of them last year, big hits. Uh, still trying to figure out what else will go with them, but big dip dip gal over here. Are you going to Are you gonna make the famous Auerbach uh, pepperoni bread? Good question. Um, so I might only be watching this with a couple people. It's kind of a, I, I don't want to make too many snacks. Yeah. That's what I'm a little worried about. But but maybe, maybe. I feel like I have to. That is a, a Super Bowl staple. Um, but Chris, I want to tell you what I'm happy about, what I'm excited about with this Super Bowl. I am from New Jersey, Central Jersey, oh, which really? is very I've, I've divided. Heard, I've, never heard that like, I've never heard that before. Yes, and I was just like, for Brody Miller, who's probably listening somewhere, Central Jersey exists. Just need to clarify that. So Central Jersey is very split, though, because like I went to high school in Princeton and a lot of Eagles fans. But then you also have a lot of Giants fans, and I, my family, we grew up Jets fans. So you had like a, a mix, and it was very heated. Like, Eagles fans do not like anyone else. I think Eagles fan, Philly fans might be worse than Boston sports fans. Wow. And I don't even mean that as a negative. That's just who they are. So very hard for me to root for the Eagles, to acknowledge that I like people on the Eagles. Like when the Eagles played the Patriots a couple years ago, that was like nightmare scenario for a family of Jets fans, right? This time around, I find, I think that this is a very likable Eagles team. And one of the main reasons is it is so hard to root against Jalen Hurts. His career, we, we all watched the lowest point in his career on national television, getting pulled in a national championship game. And we watched him sit 
And we watch him go to Oklahoma, become a Heisman finalist. We watch him go to the NFL and people wonder if he can throw the ball. Who can he, you know, can he really lead an NFL franchise? Can he, can he be that passer he's going to need to be at that level? And he's answered all those questions when he's healthy MVP caliber season. I just love it. I love it. And you know what? I'm not the only one. So I want to play you this sound from none other than the Nick Saban himself, courtesy of the 33rd team. This is why I am happy for Jalen Hurts. And this is why Nick Saban is happy for Jalen Hurts. I can't tell you how proud I am of seeing this guy in the Super Bowl only because I know firsthand what he went through to get there and how he dedicated himself to doing the things that he needed to do to uh, make himself a better player, make him a, a complete player at the position. See, that's my guy. I just, I, I just, I, I can't see how you wouldn't be pulling for him, wouldn't be happy for him. He's a different guy. Bruce Feldman wrote about this on our site, just about being around him, especially during his time at Oklahoma, how he's wired just differently. Makes him really easy to root for. So Jalen Hurts, the, the thing gets my happy hour. Cheers. The thing I love about Jason uh, Jalen Hurts is it's not like, you know, like he was given necessarily like, oh, this uh, terrible thing happened to him in football and he like made his way come, come back from that. It, it, it's not as much like a comeback story to me. It's a story of a guy who just got better and continued to get better and better. Remember, he was the SEC uh, Offensive Player of the Year as a freshman at Alabama in 2016. Like, this guy was a big deal from the beginning. And, you know, he gets benched in that uh, halftime of that championship game, which is one of the biggest what-ifs ever. Because if Oklahoma beats Georgia in that Rose Bowl, I think Jalen Hurts puts up good numbers in that championship game that he never gets pulled. Maybe two of transfers the next year. It, it's a major what if. But he gets benched in that championship game, and he didn't he didn't transfer after that. Remember, we didn't have the portal at that time. He came back another nope. year nope. and spent a whole year basically kind of as the backup in 2018. And then he grad transfers to Oklahoma and has a, a big year as well. He gets into the NFL. When, when they drafted him, I was like, what are they doing? They got Carson Wentz. Like, where exactly is this, is this going to fit? And, he, you know, his first year or two in the NFL, not that great. And then this year he just comes out just guns blazing, looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He was up to the MVP award. Like, this is a guy who just works so hard to get better. And that's what that Bruce story was about. That's what the – a Nick Saban comment and other stories about Jalen Hurts are about it. It's really just an inspiring story of like, it's never too late to like, to get better, to improve. And we saw that at Alabama. We saw that uh, in the NFL now. And I was in the Super Bowl, which is wild. I, I went back and looked at my old tweets to see if I said anything bad about Jalen Hurts being drafted to see if I was going to get old takes exposed or anything. No, I, I didn't have anything bad. I did. Uh, I did wonder if he was going to be used as like a Taysom Hill type. Uh, so that did not exactly pan out. Instead, he's he's pretty good. Well, well, I mean, I, I remember talking to opposing coaches about that Alabama team his freshman year, and I mean, there were a lot of defensive coaches who felt that they were very beatable, right, because of his limitations as a passer. And that just speaks to the point that you made about him getting better, him working on all that stuff. I thought the comment that Saban made about telling him to go to Oklahoma because of having better players around him and because Lincoln Riley would, would get him. Essentially, he'd be a Heisman caliber quarterback for him. 
versus going to Maryland, Miami. I thought that was really interesting and, and very honest uh, after the fact. So anyway, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited for the Super Bowl, but I am especially excited to see Jalen Hurts get this moment on this stage. Yes, and, and similarly, it, it's happy hour because this is a pretty big moment for Cincinnati, which has both uh, Travis and Jason Kelsey in the Super Bowl. Both played for Butch Jones at Cincinnati. And it, it's interesting because, like, our, our colleague Justin Williams was asked recently in, a, I think, a mailbag, why people don't associate the Kelseys or Travis Kelsey with Cincinnati. He's like, Travis Kelsey's going to be, like, maybe the greatest tight end ever. He may already be that if you look at some of his numbers. And yet, nobody associates him with Cincinnati. It's a thing that pops up on Twitter all the time. Be like, you could... Anybody try to guess where Travis Kelsey went, and nobody guesses Cincinnati. And part of that reason is because he doesn't say Cincinnati on his Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football intro. It's never Travis Kelsey Cincinnati. And I think people just miss on it. So Justin was asked about this, and he's like, look, they are consistent supporters of Cincinnati football. They've donated a lot of money. Uh, they just recently opened a health and wellness endowment for for." Cincinnati athletes, Jason uh, Travis Kelsey does the UC you know celebration sometimes, so it's it, it's just an interesting perspective from Cincinnati fans of like this is a moment to celebrate two brothers who played at your school in the Super Bowl and maybe now Cincinnati will finally get that recognition for them. Um, what I'm really excited about is uh, did you know that they're brothers? Did you know that their parents had both of them? Oh, they had both and of them. I didn't know that. That they raised two future NFL players who would who would square off in the Super Bowl. Um, I actually love it. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I know it's getting just totally, you know, it's the only thing that we're hearing about heading into the Super Bowl. Uh, I love any details that their parents are sharing. The fact that, you know, even though they're divorced, they're coordinating all their travels so that they can, you know, be at each of their events. And one of them is going to be at one team hotel. One's going to be at the other. Like, I love all of that. We had Butch Jones on, uh, on my SiriusXM show earlier in this week, and he was just talking about, um, you know, just the, the differences in, in the two of them, um, what it was like to coach both of them, but also just how much Travis Kelsey has changed the game of football and the position. And we see that at every level. I wrote about it a few years ago, but like a lot of teams in college, but now also in the NFL, do really interesting things with their tight ends. Um you know, and, and Georgia has always been a great example in the last couple of years and Notre Dame. But, you know, he, he has been doing all of that in the NFL. Like, that's where everyone's watching. Everyone sees what he is as a pass catcher and his catch radius and just how, how much of a weapon you can use him. So I just think all of that is very cool. Um, and I, again, I, I might regret this by the time we have kickoff, once we have, like, maybe a separate cam on, on Mama Kelsey and maybe I'll get a little tired of it. But I feel like I won't because – how often do you have someone in this situation? I imagine it'll be like a split jersey situation as well. And I also feel for her because I think about my parents watching us play sports or even like if someone was mean to me at school, I think about like how how personally my mom took it. Like everyone's saying it'll be great, right? Because either way, you have a son who wins the Super Bowl. But like either way, you have a son who loses the Super Bowl. So Anyway, I just keep thinking about the Kelsey family. I'm not tired of it yet. I'm sure it will be at some point, uh, but that does make me happy as well. It's very cool, very historic. I do wonder, the Super Bowl is on Fox, and Fox is a 
broadcaster that often leans into the non-football stuff. So perhaps we, I, I, I guarantee we're probably going to get a lot of shots of the Kelsey's. Um, I think, I think we will. Hopefully it's not uh, Brady Quinn's sister level going back to that Fiesta Bowl between Ohio State and Notre Dame back in the day. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, shout out to Cincinnati. Always an opportunity to shout out the Bearcats, Chris. You know, they're, they're moving to a Power 5 conference. I don't know if you can love them as much. Oh, of course I do. And I, I covered that, uh, that playoff game against Alabama, and Travis Kelsey was there. So as Justin said, Travis Kelsey is a big supporter of the Bearcats, so even if he doesn't necessarily say it on the Monday Night Football intro. No, that, that definitely counts. And again, it's very cool for Cincinnati. Cool for the fam. Excited about all of that. With the Super Bowl, time to get into this week's rocky relationships. It's time to talk it out. There is friction somewhere in the sport because there always is, and we are here to help work through it. We have to start with Brian Ferentz's new contract, Chris. You described it earlier, that there are certain benchmarks that need to be hit in order for Iowa to renew his contract. Otherwise, it's going to expire. 25 points, including defenses and special teams, and seven wins. Now, there are people even selling T-shirts that say Iowa football 25 slash 7. The Iowa fan base was also the people wondering, do defensive points count? This is a fan base that really wanted to see change with the offensive side of the ball. I also have never seen a contract like this. Also, it was announced. Like, I understand Iowa is a public school, but, like, we all got a press release about the amendment to Brian Ferentz's contract. The pay cut, the way it was structured, all of these things. And we know it's because his dad's the head coach and Gary Barter, the athletic director, won't step in and, and force a change. But things are not great. If you have to say that, like, the bare minimum has to be written in in terms of point total... I think you have a problem with the offense. Like, I think that you maybe needed to make something more drastic change. Yeah, by the way, 25 points per game this year would have ranked 85th in the country, tied with Arkansas State, speaking of Butch Jones. So not that high of a, of a benchmark. And look, I mean, the reason they announced it is because this entire thing is a publicity move. It's to tell Iowa fans, like, I hear you, and and we're going to address this potentially. Now, when I first saw this, I thought, this is incredibly stupid. Why would you lock yourself into a two-year contract for hitting this bare minimum? If, if, they, if they go seven and five, seven and six, and score 25 points per game, that's not going to be a good season. And But Brian Ferentz will be back. So, like, why would you, why would you do that? And so I talked to Scott Docterman our friend, our colleague, to get some kind of details on exactly how this contract works. And actually, believe it or not, I think this contract is a positive for Iowa. Now, keeping Brian, aside from keeping Brian Ferentz, most schools would not have kept the offense coordinator at this point. But if you're going to keep him this way, you give yourself an out without having to pay him any more next year. Because he's on a continually two-year rolling contract, it's always a two-year deal. So if you were to fire him, you'd have to pay out your contract, essentially. So if he reaches the bare minimum, you're just you're back to where you were. And if you wanted to fire him, you'd have to pay two years of a contract to get out of it. So, so nothing really changes. So 
it, 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 like this stop the rollover. The contract stops next summer. It's not going to keep rolling over unless something happens this season. So like, I kind of get that. That kind of does make sense. It's a bare minimum move for Gary Barta to like acknowledge the fans frustrations uh, and also try to get some, you know, leeway here while dealing with Kirk Ferentz. However, this is going to be the only thing we talk about with Iowa football for the rest of the year. We're gonna, there's going to be an Iowa points tracker that we're going to have going every week, even maybe during games. What is Iowa's average points you know, right now? What does that mean for Brian Ferris's contract? We could go into the – This is actually a great idea. We could go into the Nebraska game at the end of the regular season or, uh, or the bowl game potentially of like Brian Ferris's job is on the line going into this game. What does that mean for fourth down decisions? What does that mean for pulling starters in a blowout uh, if you're losing or winning? Like this could change how you approach a game, and it's, it's just it's wild. That kind of makes me wish that there were more incentives like this in some contracts just to add a wrinkle into some of those – fourth down charts like yeah this is when you should go for it this is when you shouldn't but here's when your job's at stake when you need to hit this average you need to do this but listen i mean it is going to be the thing that we talk about but it was going to be the thing that we talk about no matter what it was the topic of the off season our poor scott Dockerman and his twitter mentions the man tweeted that brian ference was coming back and had to limit his replies because he knew how fans were going to react to this this is an offense that averaged 17 I'm sorry, not an offense, whole team. 17.7 points per game last year, 123rd in the country. So many offensive categories were in the 120s out of 131. It's just bad. And that is what we're going to talk about. I like your idea for a tracker. But this is the rockiest relationship in sports, Iowa fans and Brian Ferentz. You know, there are there are contracts with incentives of like, hey, if you reach this amount of wins, you get another year in your contract. Rick Stock's still the head coach. No, I want I want I want specifics. Well, like, right. Like this. So there have been contracts, you reach a certain number of wins, you get an extra year on your deal. Rick Stock's still Middle Tennessee has that. It's one reason they can't get out of the deal. There's some other coaches that have that too. The other route is the Randy Edsel route. Remember his contract? Like you'd get like $5,000 if they finish in like the top 50 and fourth down conversions or just like the most random surprising stuff. Uh, like that's the opposite direction. You feel. We're just that's that's what, every that's single what I want. I want, I want stuff to say like, Hey, if you convert two fourth downs in a game, you get an extra $3,000. Like I want that built in, add some wrinkles, make it more like a video game. Anyway, that is number one Rocky relationship. I am sure we will talk about it plenty this offseason because as Chris said this is an Iowa podcast number two other rocky relationship is another topic we've hit on many many times we've talked about NIL we have talked about the dynamics that have changed but our colleagues led by Stuart Mandel and Andy Staples did a really great job piecing together Jaden Rashada's whole ordeal and one thing that stuck out to me and I'm sure most of you listening have read the article and it has details about the contracts um, and the agreements with Miami and Florida and Florida backing out and basically saying in the contract that they're able to just rescind it at any point. Now, we know that Jaden Rashada is going to Arizona State, right? He, he got released and got let go of Florida. Um, and I really hope that he has a great college career. I, I'm glad he'll be able to play right away. He doesn't lose eligibility or anything. Um, but I was struck reading this piece. I was, I was struck at how many times I felt so horrible for Jaden Rashada. Like the detail of him 
crying and being upset at Elite 11 after the pressure and the publicity of signing a massive tens of million dollar deal, NIL deal and people asking about it, players asking about it, the amount of pressure that that put on his performance and then he wasn't playing well. But just for him to be emotional and to be upset about that, like my heart hurt for him. And there were just so many times throughout the story that our colleagues did such a great job on where you just kept thinking like the adults are failing this kid. So many different people are trying to take advantage of these new rules and the fact that players can make money that it was disgusting. And I wonder if this is the type of story and real life consequences of the fact that there really are not rules around this and rules that are not enforced and people are right up against the line or over the line on pay for play, recruiting inducements, all of these different things, especially when you're talking about contracts before someone has even enrolled in the school. I wonder if this gets people involved. Like it, it always felt like it was going to take something massive to get federal lawmakers involved or interested or have a sense of urgency around NIL. And maybe this is that case because you can't read this story about Jane Rashada and not feel like the middlemen, third parties, the cottage industry around NIL, his family, all these people were just taking advantage of him. And I just felt horrible. And so I, I hope he has success, but I, I hated so much of what happened to him over the last year. As our friend Matt Brown at Extra Points said, this story was basically a who's who of all the shady people involved in the NIL world right now. And you can feel that players should get paid, should get all the money they can, while also thinking that this system has holes that can uh, harm the people involved. Now, Jade Rochado is going to get $13.85 million. Like, that's, that's an unreal amount of money. But the most interesting detail of the story to me, and ultimately why this whole thing fell apart, was that Florida's collective the money they didn't have anybody in writing saying like all right we've i've got in writing we're going to commit this much you know amount of money to to pay this off and i i said this after the story came out i said the nil market is still going to take a few years to work itself out and by work itself out i mean we'll figure out what the market value is for a five-star quarterback after a number of years collectives some collectives will fall apart the ones that can't put it together collectives will realize how much money they have and don't have. They'll realize the value of putting money toward retaining players versus the value of, uh, of, of, of recruits. Giving first round draft pick type money to a four star recruit, a quarterback recruit, is just wildly uh, bad business. And ultimately they got out of it, but only after Jaden Rashad was basically dragged through the mud on this whole thing and had to be the face of all of this stuff. That's why I like the story that, that Andy and Stu and everybody did was that it we only talked about Jane Rashada. We didn't talk enough about the people involved who were making these decisions. So that was the most illuminating part of the story. And my last part on this is that we run that story on Monday. On Tuesday, our colleague Ari Wasserman writes a story about Florida's 2024 five-star QB commit, DJ Lagway. And there's a quote from his father who played at Baylor back in the day that I just loved. And it's like the complete opposite of so many of these situations. And, and Lagway's father says, quote, I just want him to be happy with where he wanted to go. I've lived my life. It's his turn to live his. Like, that's how you approach these things a- as a parent. Now, NIL 
is a factor. It's something they're talking about and trying to figure out, but it's not the number one thing driving all of this stuff. And yeah, you know, in these situations, there's a lot of money being thrown out there, but you hope the kids are in a good spot too. Yeah. And um, I think too, a couple different wrinkles that the story is going to continue to evolve. We talked about it last week on Power Hour, but the NIL presumption, which is the new standard for enforcement, and so it's for it's essentially saying the NCAA is presuming that a violation occurred, and you have to prove that it didn't. This could be the first big test of that because there's a lot of documentation in that article, uh, and a lot of documentation around Jaden Rashada and his time talking to, engaging with Miami and Florida, especially Florida, uh, entering an agreement, contact with a recruit before they enroll, all of those things are against the rules. So we've been waiting to see if the NCAA would try to go after someone related to NIL to set boundaries, set guardrails. Um, I, I would think that this would be one of those cases that you've got to think that there's enough out there in terms of a tip, in terms of information and, and potentially people who would talk to the NCAA. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Again, best wishes to Jaden Rashada himself. I hope he is able to get what he needs out of his college experience. And I think that it's important that people have shown a light on the fact that these collectives have backed out on deals, um, backed out on things that they were promising players. And not a lot of that has gotten attention. And, uh, you know, there are, Jaden Rashad is not the only player who's dealt with this. And that's an important dynamic uh, as well as we, it's like 18 months now, turn the page 18 months into the NIL era. So lots to talk about all off season here on Power Hour. And we will get into all of that. But we got to wrap this up. It's time for last call. Cheers or jeers. Uh, we will cheers. We can rant. We can do whatever we would do as the bar is closing. And we get our final round uh, at last call. Chris, I- I'm going to go first. Do it. It's mostly a jeers. It's a jeers. Um, but it's also my favorite thing that I saw on the internet on Monday. Uh, our colleague covers Green Bay, Matt Schneidman, was live tweeting Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee's show, which he does every Tuesday. I'm sorry, I said Monday, today's Tuesday, as we're recording this. Anyway, so he goes on Pat McAfee's show every Tuesday. And we saw that Aaron Rodgers was involved in some sort of, what was it, on Monday night? It was something like... Um, it was an astrology, like astrology? Uh, seminar of some kind. Yeah. yeah. Some sort of Zoom. Um, it was weird. Aaron Rodgers now does a lot of weird things. Uh, so he is talking about you know, making a decision about like a final, final decision about his football career or what else could be next for him. And quote, he, Rogers is going on a darkness retreat soon. He will go into a little house for four days and nights, complete darkness the whole time, just himself. Again, this is the funniest thing I've seen on the internet all day. (laughs) It sounds miserable. Of anyone who needs to do this though, I think he is the perfect person. To just sit with his thoughts and not have an outlet to talk about these things. I think he needs to make this decision and not go on astrology astrology Zoom. So uh, cheers and cheers to Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers has obviously over the last year to become a very um, polarizing figure for all kinds of for all kinds of topics. And whenever these things come up, 
you know, he makes comments about why he does these things and why they're helpful or why they help his spirit, his mind, whatever, whatever. But if he had just, if, if you just describe this as like, this sounds pretty crazy and I kind of want to mess with my brain, like, and see what happens. Like, I think people would be into that and think it was really cool. It's, it's kind of more the like coming off of high and mighty and pompous or whatever about elevating your, you know, your, your, your mind or whatever. If he was just like, dude, this thing sounds crazy. I'm going to lock myself in a room for four days and see how much I like freak out by the time I get out of this or take some of those weird hallucinogenic drugs he's talked about before. Just like it, it, like if Gronk was doing this, if Travis Kelsey was doing this, like you could imagine that being like a hilarious fun story that we all like latched onto, but because it's Aaron Rodgers and because it's the way he goes about it, it just seems weird. It, it's it is the way he describes it. Cause like literally, just say you're going to a spa, you're going to a meditation retreat, whatever. I mean, half of LA does these things all the time, yes. but a darkness retreat and then the specific details. He just it prompts the jokes itself. Anyway, but this is both the cheers and the jeers because I enjoy it. I'm gonna get a lot of mileage out of the jokes related to this, um, but also I I do think he needs it. How long do you think you could last in a dark room? Um, like it's it's silent, right? So like yes. no music, no music, nothing, darkness, silence. So I once did. Have you ever heard of float pods? No. Like float. Okay. So it's kind of the same idea. It's like sensory deprivation. You go in this like little. It's kind of like a bathtub, but it's like very very shallow, and you float in it like it's salt water, and then they like turn off the lights. And it's silent. And it's like one hour. And I will say that in the beginning, you're like, oh my God, it's time moving. This feels so slow. And then by the end, like very relaxed. And like, I felt as good as I do after a massage. Like my muscles were all relaxed. Like I felt great. But that was only one hour. I don't, I, I, I think maybe like my max would be like four hours. See, I think I would have to like first, like stay up for like 48 hours straight. So as soon as I get into this place, I'm out. I'm going to sleep for like 12 to 15 hours. Like that, that that's, yeah, how, I, that's how I it would start. You, you got to build up the time. You don't want to think about it too much. No. You're just going to drop, you know, you're going to, your, your mind's going to move around too much. Do you have a last call, sir? Yes. My last call is a cheers for Jake Hayner, the former Fresno State quarterback who was named the Senior Bowl MVP over the weekend. Jake Hayner, just the ultimate love for college football story guy who uh, started at Washington, didn't win the job, transferred to Fresno state, did a really good job there under Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer goes to Washington, the head coach. He thinks about transferring, ultimately decides not to. And three games into this past season, he hurts his ankle against USC and he's out for four games. Now, in so many of these situations, you could have seen a, a, a player shut it down for the year or whatnot. Jake Hayner decides to come back, and they and, and Fresno State finishes the season on a nine-game winning streak. They won the Mountain West. They beat Washington State in their bowl game. Guy who's been through so many injuries. We all remember that drive against UCLA last year. Just a guy who's really beat up but keeps playing through it, goes to the Senior Bowl, completes 12 of 19 passes and impresses a lot of NFL teams at, at, at that spot. So it's been really cool to see over the last 
three months, like where Jay Kaner has come from, from that ankle injury to, to now where he's been impressing people. And yeah, just kind of wanted to give a salute to Jay Kaner, the ultimate just grinded out uh, quarterback. And, you know, we all talked about Max Duggan this year, but Jay Kaner did it at a very similar level uh, for Fresno State. Yep, and he's the one when everyone's saying and talking to our draft gurus, Nick Baumgartner, Dean Brugler, and everybody else who's that senior bowl. Hey, who do you think could be the year's Brock Purdy? Jay Kaner. That was the go-to answer. Heard that a lot this past week. So that is a great last call and cheers. Chris, before we go, we need to get you quickly on the record with a Super Bowl pick. My pick is the Eagles by a lot. They're favored by one and a half at the time of we're recording this. I just think the Chiefs have been too beat up. The Eagles have just been on a roll all season long. They don't have a weakness, man. Like this team, top to bottom, is just kind of built for this moment. I know Patrick Mahomes can do a lot of things and, and, and make a lot out of nothing. And there's talent on the Chiefs. They've been here before. But I think about that Buccaneers-Chiefs Super Bowl a couple years ago uh, when, when the Bucs surprised us by winning. I just think the Eagles win this game and, and ultimately, I think, win it handily. So we'll see what the spread is by the time the game comes. But I, I think Philly big. I also take Philly. Like I said, Jalen Hurts, just I think a great story. I think it's going to be closer. Um, I'm going to say that they win by four. I don't know where the score will be. But I just think it's more interesting for the NFL to not have the Chiefs win it again. So I will take the Eagles, and that will do it for this week's episode of Power Hour. For Chris Manini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.